Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations proudly present Dime Store Radio Theater! And now that it is officially December, Dime Store Radio Theater is flipping over to holiday programming to help keep you in the spirit all month long. Dime Store Radio Theater goes to the movies this year with feature presentations each week offering romance, adventure, and seasonal tidings that will make you feel like you've been under the mistletoe all night long. This time of year is a terrifying and lonely torment on our minds and souls. So let Dime Store Radio Theater be the guiding light this holiday with simple distractions to help pass the time. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Remember the Night by the Lux Radio Theater. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray in Remember the Night with Elizabeth Patterson, Beulah Bondi, and Sterling Holloway. And ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Fine acting, a good story, and superb direction. Each contribute to the success of a motion picture. And we'll have to combine all three to explain the resounding success of the current Paramount picture, Remember the Night. As it happens, I take a personal pride in the success of this picture, because Mitchell Lyson, who directed it, served his apprenticeship with me. Consequently, it's with a special bow in Mitch's direction that I introduced our radio adaptation of his screen hit, Remember the Night. A triumphal return engagement for the same two stars who played it on the screen. Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. And with them we have Beulah Bondi, Elizabeth Patterson, and Sterling Holloway of the picture cast. Remember the Night is a play you'll remember. Just why Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray have never been teamed before is one of Hollywood's unsolved mysteries. But the results in this picture call loudly for more of the same. So we were very insistent on having these stars of the picture in our production tonight. Barbara dropped in to visit my Northwest Mounted Police set, but I sent her home right away to get her script of Remember the Night. And I had to break into something to get Fred McMurray. I had to break into his vacation in Mexico. It was the same vacation, which we interrupted a few weeks ago to bring him back to this microphone. However, he, he took our persecution very amiably and buckled right down to work. Ordinarily, I, I don't suppose a courtroom is the most promising place in the world for a love story. Especially if the party of the first part is the prosecutor... And the party of the second part is the girl on trial. But remember, the night is delightfully original from beginning to end, with a love story that begins in a law court. So once more, it's curtain time in the Lux Radio Theater, as we start Act One of Remember the Night, starring Barbara Stanwyck as Lee Leander, Fred McMurray as John Sargent, with Beulah Bundy as his mother, Elizabeth Pat- Patterson as Aunt Emma, and Sterling Holloway as Willie. A jewelry store on New York's Fifth Avenue. In the glittering showcases, a thousand precious stones sparkle in their brilliant settings. Although it's just a few weeks before Christmas, there's only one customer in the store this afternoon. A pretty girl in costly furs. On her wrist is a diamond bracelet, placed there by uh, an enthusiastic clerk. He smiles happily 
sensing the sale is practically complete. Glorious, madam, isn't it? One of our most beautiful bracelets, really. Yes, it is beautiful. You won't regret taking it, madam. I'm sure I won't. Uh, what's the price, please? Only $5,000. 5000 That's reasonable. You won't find another one like it in New York, madam. Uh, shall I have Mr. Meyer make out the papers? Just a moment, please. I think I'd like to see one or two more before I make up my mind. Uh, that one in the lower tray, please. Let me see that. Oh, of course, madam. Uh, personally, I prefer the one you're wearing, but well, this one's quite beautiful, too. Uh, the emerald set the diamonds off very nicely. Now, if you'll just place this one on your... Madam! Madam! Where? Why, she's gone. Mr. Meyer! Mr. Meyer! She's gone! Police! Police! Jones, what is it? Oh, that girl. She went out the door while my back was turned. She went out with a $5,000 bracelet. Calling car number 17. Car number 17. Pickup girl about 23 years. Dark complexion, silver fox furs. Vicinity, 5th Avenue, 54th Street. Search for diamond bracelets stolen from Meyer and Company. That is all. Uh, this is Officer Cassidy reporting to headquarters. Say, we picked up that girl on call 17. Yeah. Caught her cold with the goods in a hot shop over on 3rd Avenue. She was trying to pawn the bracelet. Yeah. Okay. I'm bringing her in now. District Attorney's office. Who? Oh, just a moment. Who is it? Commissioner's office. It's about that acquittal yesterday in the shooting case. Uh, tell about busy. Hello? Can the district attorney call you back? Thank you. Is that all they have to do? Beef about acquittals? All right, Tom, let's get going. Okay, boss. What's the first case today? That's a cinch. Dame by the name of Lee Leander. Cops a bracelet out of Miami Company on 3rd Avenue in Hawkins. Open and shut. First offense? Nah, she's got a record. This is a third offense. Well, that's good, that's good. The first offender at Christmas time is tougher than tiger meat. Tom, look at that chart. Conviction's only 78% is against 82% last year. Hey, can I handle this case, boss? I'll get you conviction. Uh, you probably could handle it as well as some of these dopes, but when the right case comes along, I'll give it to you. Wife beater or something like that. Your face isn't right to prosecute a woman. Oh, boss, listen. Nothing doing, Tom, nothing doing. We'll get Sergeant on this one. Sergeant? What's his face got that mine hasn't got? Well, whatever it is, he's never lost the case for me yet. Yeah, but he's gone home for Christmas. Ohio or Oklahoma, someplace like that. Now, listen, I could get you a conviction so Take quick. it easy, Tom. Take, Take it easy. Miss Day, get me John Sergeant on the phone. Yes, sir. Now, boss, now that ain't fair. Stop moaning. Sergeant's terrific with these pretty girls. Oh, Mr. Sergeant. Mr. Sergeant. Phone's ringing. Well, answer it, will you? Try to get packed up in here. Okay, I'll answer. Hello. Hey, wait a minute, Rufus. Huh? Listen, if that's the office, tell him I've already left. Okay. Hello. Yes, sir. Yes, well, this is the office. He's already left. Oh, you blockhead. Give me that phone. I just said... Shut I... up. Uh, good morning. Who all wants to speak to Master Sergeant, please? Uh, hello, Sergeant. Uh, who do you think you're kidding? All right, never mind. Who is this? This is your boss. You know, it's a good thing you didn't take up acting for a living. Yeah? Well, what do you want? Well, listen, we got a case to try this morning. I'll see you at the office in 15 minutes. Now, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be going home for Christmas. Sure, sure. You can leave here this afternoon. Yeah, but I've got 730 miles to drive. You told me I could... Now, look, Jack, don't argue. It's a female case, and I need you. Now, come on. Oh, I was afraid of this. Who's defending? Oh, That windbag? He'll give us the Gettysburg Address and the Declaration of Independence. Oh, no, and... he won't. I'll have Tom meet you in court, and you'll be out of there by noon. Now, get right down here. Goodbye. Now, listen, boss. Hello. Hello. Oh, O'Leary. Oh, He'll talk all day, all day long. When you leave, Miss Sergeant, shut up. Quiet, please. 
Proceed with your summation, Mr. O'Leary. Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, during the course of this trial, you've heard the prosecuting attorney, Mr. Sargent, attempt to prove that a valuable bracelet was taken from the premises of Meyer and Company by the defense. All this has been a waste of time, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, of your time and mine. Time we could spend to, to better advantage in, in last-minute Christmas shopping. At least I, I know that's what I'd like to be doing. <laughs> May it please the court, we object, Your Honor. The jury's Christmas shopping has nothing to do with the case. Objection sustained. I withdraw the illusion, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen, when I say that time has been wasted, I mean the state has gone to great lengths to prove that Anna Rose Malone, sometimes known as Lee Leander... Sometimes known as a lot of other things. ...did on the afternoon of December 3rd walk out upon Fifth Avenue with a bracelet which was still the property of Meyer and Company. To prove something, she freely admits. As if the proof of this constituted a proof of guilt. Since the dawn of civilization, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, since the beginnings of jurisprudence, wise men and women have refused to be hoodwinked by a circumstantial evidence. The contents of a whiskey bottle... Hey, Jack, I don't like a smile on that jury's pen. All juries get soft-hearted at Christmas, Tommy. If you ever get a case to prosecute and you see that peace on earth, goodwill toward men look come in their eyes, get a continuance, even if you have to fall down and tell the judge ate green apples. ...that a young woman walking out of a store with something not her own is necessarily an evildoer. Oh, how flimsy is this argument. How unfair. But on it, and because of it, you have been asked to take away the liberty of a fellow human being. Now, the truth is simple. The bracelet was removed during a temporary loss of will and consciousness, now known as schizophrenia, but formerly known as hypnotism. Holy mackerel, that's a sweet one, hypnotism. Shut up, Tommy. You mean you're not going to object? Shut up. He's just postponed the case till after Christmas. Yeah? How do you figure that? Hypnotism. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes, I said hypnotism, and that's exactly what I meant. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I want you to gaze upon this girl's face. Is this the face of a hardened criminal? An outcast from society? No. No. But the prosecution would have you believe that she willingly, and in her right mind, stole, stole a bracelet. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what really happened. The truth. This girl, this poor unfortunate creature, went into that jewelry store, not to buy not to steal, but only to look. A salesman showed her the bracelet, urged her to clasp it around her wrist, begged her to examine it under a more powerful light, and then excused himself. The bracelet is under a powerful light. The young girl stares at it closer, closer. The great central stone flashes blindingly in her eyes. Blue, green, purple, orange, closer, still closer. Suddenly, the colors are gone. Everything is dark. A breath of cold air brings her to her senses, but... What's this? Where is the jewelry store? Where is the light she was standing under? What is she doing on Fifth Avenue, blocks away from Meyer and Company? She... she doesn't know. She can't remember. Her mind is a blank. And why? Why? This girl, this poor, unfortunate creature, was a victim. An unwilling victim of hypnosis. Your Honor, the defense rests. All right, now, Tommy, watch. Your Honor. Yes? Your Honor, the hypothesis of hypnotism is a very interesting one. Let me be the first to admit it. But unfortunately, I am no Svengali, nor are you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. The people of the state of New York will require the expert testimony of Dr. Kindness, the psychiatrist. For this purpose, the people will request 
A continuance be granted till after the Christmas holiday. We object, Your Honor. The defense was already summed up. The case was practically closed. Objection overruled. But, Your Honor... The defendant will remain in custody, subject to giving a $5,000 bond. And all jurors, parties, and witnesses are instructed to return to the court Tuesday, January 3rd. Court adjourned, and a very Merry Christmas to you all. Just a minute, just a minute, Sergeant. That was a dirty trick you played on me. Means another day in court. And I don't get paid by the state. I have to earn my money. No more sense of humor than a gravestone. Huh? Well, Merry Christmas, Francis. Why, you... Oh, take it easy, Mr. Let me go. I want to speak to my lawyer. Mr. O'Leary, this guard says I have to have a bond or stay in jail. That's right. Is it right? You ought to know, Mr. District Attorney. I'm afraid it is. Well, how can I get a bond? I haven't any more money and I don't want to spend Christmas in jail. Please don't let them do that. What do you mean you haven't got any more money? What have I been talking for, to hear my own voice? If you hadn't talked so much, I'd be out of here right now. What do you mean by that? Hypnotism. That gag's so old it's got whiskers. Oh, please, please don't let them keep me here over Christmas. Ah, what's the difference? What could you do if you haven't got any money? I could walk around, couldn't I? Come on, miss. It ain't as bad as you think. You get a nice little uh, room and a nice turkey dinner on Christmas. Yes, yes, I know. Never mind the build-up. Let's go. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, Mr. Sergeant. Hey, she's kind of sore at you, Jack. Yeah. Say, uh, Tommy... On your way, I'll send Fat Mike in here, will you? Huh? Fat Mike the bondsman? If you know any other Fat Mikes, you can send them, too. I get it. You don't, but let it pass. Okay, I'll send them right away. Hey, Mike. Yeah? Mr. Sergeant wants to see you right away. Sure, sure. Coming. Hello, Mr. Sergeant. You want to see me? Yeah. What'll you charge for 5,000 bail from Noddle January 3rd? Did they pin something on you, pal? No, it isn't for me. It's for the young woman who's in here today. Oh, I see. How much? For a friend of yours? Nothing. Not a red Samilka. I didn't ask you for any favors. Favors? It's a privilege. You still living at the same place? Yeah. Why? How soon you want her out? Right away. Okay. She's out. Thanks. So long. Hey, Rufus. You got those other grits back? Rufus! Boss? What's the matter with you? She's here, boss. Who's here? I don't know. Then how do you know she's here? I just let in the living room. You let who in? The lady. You you mean there's a lady here in the apartment? Yes, sir. What would you let her in for? I I told you I wasn't home to anybody. Yes, sir. I told him that. But he shoved the door open anyhow and pushed the lady in with his compliments. Who did? A man. Oh, Fat Ike. Fat Ike? You mean Fat Mike? Yes, sir. He sure ain't thin, Mike. Mm -hmm. What did he bring her here for? I don't know. I guess I'll have to go and speak to her. Yes, you will. <laughs> well, hello. Hello. What are you doing here? I don't know yet, but I've got a rough idea. Well, uh, anyway, I'm glad you're out. Mm-hmm. Now what do I have to do for it? Well, for one thing, you could say thank you, but if that doesn't fit in with your plans, just skip it. My motive's in this matter. Here you are, boss. Here's the drinks. What drinks? I didn't take some soda, miss. Thanks. Drink, boss? Get out of here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know. <laughs> you know, one of these days, one of you boys is going to start one of these scenes differently. And one of us girls is going to drop dead from surprise. What are you talking about? I suppose you do this with all the lady prisoners? Oh, yes. My life is just one long round of whooping. Well, you're in a good spot for it. Wonderful. I have only to wave a finger and I can satisfy my slightest whim. And I suppose if anybody says no, you just put them right back in the cooler. That's right. Now, look. When court reconvenes, I'm going to try to put you in jail for a good long time. That's my business. But you haven't been convicted yet, so I don't see why you shouldn't enjoy Christmas like the rest of us. That's why I told Mike to get you out. And bring me up here. I did not tell him to bring you up here. Then why did that gorilla bring me up here? Because he's got a mind like a, a sewer. Thanks. Now, look. I'm very glad to have been of service to you. Now, if you... you mean I I don't have to stay here if I don't want to? You most certainly do not. Oh, then I'll stay. 
But I won't be forced. Now, wait a minute. You know, there's nothing as dangerous as a square shooter. If all men were like you, there wouldn't be any nice girls left. Yes, well, all this is leading into a very interesting subject that I haven't time to pursue at the moment. I'm going away on a little trip, and it's quite a drive, and I haven't had my dinner yet. Oh, you mean you want me to go? Well, yes. Where? Where what? Well, I was on my way to a nice, comfortable jail with three meals a day and turkey for Christmas, and now I... Don't you live someplace? No. Where have you been, living in a tree? I had a room in a hotel, but they locked me out. Oh. Well, how much do you owe this hotel? $126.40. Oh. That doesn't solve any problems. Look, why don't you just put me back in the clink? That solves lots of problems. Well, for one thing, I'm not sure I can't. Well, that wasn't the idea. Have you had dinner? Not yet. Now, come on, then. I'll take you to dinner and we'll figure something out. You really didn't want me to come here at all, then? I'm sorry to say I did not. I see. Well, shall we go? Here's your hat, fellas. Going out, huh? Yes, I am. Hot dog. <laughs> but don't forget you got to see you more. Shut up. <laughs> No, thanks. It's been nice up to now. Yeah. You know, I was thinking I uh, I might lend you my apartment. Oh, that sounds like a play, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds like a flop. Don't worry about me. I can always chisel a hotel for a week or so. That's a nice, cheesy idea. Well, I'm not going to sleep in the subway. And as far as the holiday's concerned, I guess I'll get plenty of that when you get through with me. Oh, uh, not that I mean it in a disagreeable way, you understand. I understand. Your business is your business. Of course, some people wouldn't care for that kind of business, but somebody has to do the dirty work. Thanks. Just too bad it had to be somebody as nice as you. How long have you been swiping things? Always. Have you been caught before? Uh Uh-huh. Did you take things you didn't need? Sure. In the presence of beautiful things, did you feel a sudden irresistible urge to take them in your hands and hurry away with them? Oh, you mean was I hypnotized? No, no, I mean maybe you're a kleptomaniac. Oh, no, no. They tried that, though. Now... You see, to be a kleptomaniac, you can't sell any of the stuff afterwards or you uh, you lose your amateur standing. I don't understand it. Oh, I, I don't think you ever could understand because your mind is different. Right or wrong is the same for everybody, you see, but the the rights and the wrongs aren't the same. Oh, that's ridiculous. Is it? All right, try it like this. Suppose you were starving to death. Yeah. And you didn't have any food and you didn't have any money and you, you didn't have any place to get anything. Mm-hmm. And there were some loaves of bread out in front of a market, and, well, now remember, you're starving to death, and the man's back was turned. Would you swipe one? You bet I would. That's because you're honest. You see, I'd have a six-course dinner at the table, go across the street, and then say I forgot my purse. Get the difference? I think you're way smarter. Yeah, that's it. We're smart. Very smart. Well, we're all finished. Waiter, check, please. Uh, right away, sir. Well, Miss Leander, I've got a couple of extra bucks I don't need. Here's a... My Christmas dinner, I promise you, in a room and a couple of breakfasts. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, check, sir. Oh, here you are. Oh, uh, will you ask the band to play my Indiana home? Oh, yes, sir. I'll ask them. Thank you. Why do you want them to play that? Because that's where I'm going. No. Are you a Hoosier? Yeah, Wabash, Indiana. That is a farm just outside of Wabash. Wabash, Indiana? Oh, no wonder I like you. I'm from Eltonville. No. Uh-huh. Well, that's only about 50 miles from... Yes, sir. Well, I'll be darned. And we have to come here and meet like this. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? So, you're going back home, huh? Yeah, I go home every Christmas. You do? Oh, gee, that's great. My mother still runs the farm. Does all right, too. She raises partridge, wine, us, Poland, China. Oh, we never had anything, that's well. <laughs> we never did either till lately. How long since you've been home? Never. Why? I ran away. Well, I don't know what the circumstances were, of course. But... Not so hot. Well... Time takes care of those things. Do they write to you? 
I had a letter from my mother when my father died. Oh, your mother's alive, then? I hope so. That song, it's awful pretty, isn't it? Kind of... Uh, kind of does things to you. Yeah. Say, so look. How would you like to go home for Christmas? What? I mean it. I, I could drop you off at your place and pick you up on my way back. Home? Oh, gee, I, I don't know. Oh, come on. It'll do you good. What do you say? All right. Unless... Aren't you afraid? Afraid of what? How it might look. Rising young district attorney and me. Oh, I... I didn't think of it. I know. You never think of anything wrong, do you? That's what makes you... Such a swell guy. The curtain falls on the first act of Remember the Night with Barbara Stanwyck, Fred McMurray, Elizabeth Patterson, Beulah Bondi, and Sterling Holloway. Lux Radio Theater is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only seven shopping days left until the big day next week, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. And now, we return you to Lux Radio Theater, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. Act Two of Remember the Night, starring Barbara Stanwyck as Lee and Fred McMurray as John Sargent, with Beulah Bundy as his mother, Elizabeth Patterson as Aunt Emma, and Sterling Holloway as Willie. Westward, along the snow-banked highways from New York, more than 20 hours of steady driving have brought Lee Leander and Jack Sargent to Eltonville, Indiana, and the front gate of Lee's former home. A bright moon softens the outline of the ramshackle house that, that stands cold and dark on the outskirts of the town. From within the house comes the warning wail of a dog as Jack swings the car up to the sagging front porch. This is it, huh? Yes. Well, all out then. End of the line. Oh, please, let's wait till... Well, my mother might not even live here anymore. Hey, don't be so nervous. Will, will you go in with me? Sure, I'll go in with you. Come on, I've got your bag. See that tree? Yeah. I fell out of it when I was 12. Oh, it was a terrible tomboy. See, from that branch right up there. Landed on my head, too. <laughs> That's a better gag than hypnotism. Your lawyer should have used that. As a matter of fact, you should have had me for your lawyer. Come on now, smile. Here we are. Oh, gee, I, I didn't mean to knock so loud. Oh, that sounds like Mickey barking. Oh, it couldn't be. He'd be too... Here's somebody coming. Yeah. Now, look, I'll pick you up on New Year's Day in the afternoon. Don't forget. No. Gee, you've been sweet. Will you shut up? Yes? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Doesn't Mrs. Malone live here? Oh, I guess you want my wife. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, this is Henry. Somebody want me? Mama. Oh, Merry Christmas, Mama. Well, you... You know me, don't you? 
come in. This is Mr. Uh... Sergeant. How do you do? Sit down. You're looking fine, Mama. What did you come here for? What do you want? Oh, I don't want anything, Mama. It was just Christmas, and Mr. Sergeant happened to be driving. You past... see, I live in Wabash. It's, it's about fifty miles from here. I knew you'd be glad. If glad? I... Why should I be glad? Good riddance to bad rubbish. I said the day she left. Oh, Mama, please, Mr. Sergeant. Just like her father, she is. Always laughing at serious things she was. Never doing what she's told till she winds up stealing. Stealing my mission money. Money I'd put by with the sweat of my brow, that's what. I didn't steal it. I, I told you a thousand times I only borrowed it. I was going to pay you back. But you didn't pay me back, did you? And you never paid me back. Well, how could I after you called me a thief in front of the whole town? Nobody would give me a job. And you left here. The great lady. We weren't good enough for you. A decent home, a hard-working mother, and a crook for a daughter. Oh, Mama. Look, Lee, I don't want to tear you away, but uh, we still have 50 miles to go. Oh. Are you ready? Oh, yes. It's been very interesting to meet you, Mrs. Uh... A name doesn't concern you. It most certainly does not. Come on, kid. I've forgotten how much that woman hates me and how much I hate her. That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? No. But ever since I was little, she was always so right and I was always so wrong. Thanks for getting me out. I'll stay anywhere. Any old place will do if I'm far enough away from her. Hey, take it easy. I wish I'd broken my neck when I fell out of that tree. It's a little too late to think about that now, isn't it? You won't make me stay in Nelsonville. You'll find me a room somewhere else. Sure, I will. Any old dump will do. That's just what you're going to get. It's only got one window, and the mattress is stuffed with rocks, and it's got a painting of the cross-eyedest old man you ever saw in your life. How do you know? How do I know what? Oh, that my grandfather was cross-eyed? You mean you're... You're taking me home with you? Why not? Oh. Well, for you. Now what? Oh. It's good to see you. Oh, I just can't believe you're here at last. Well, Jack, Sergeant. Hey, there we go. Hello, Annie. How about a kiss, huh? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, I declare I'm glad you're here. If only to stop your mother from taking leave of her senses. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll say. Hello, John. Welcome home. Hello, Willie. The girl's still chasing you? Oh, John. What made you so late, dear? We thought you'd be here by six at least. Well, you see... Hey, hey who's that in the front seat? Oh, I, I'm sorry. Mother, this is Miss Lee Leander. She's come to spend Christmas with us. How do you do? Oh, how nice. Well, I'm so glad to know you, my dear. And this is my Aunt Emmy. Knows more about flannel cakes than the guy who invented them. Hello. <laughs> I'm right pleased to meet you, Miss Leander. And this is Willie Sims, our hired boy. Crazy about the girls, and the girls are crazy about him. <laughs> Willie Sims. <laughs> pleased to meet you. Hello. I hope I won't be too much trouble, Mrs. Sergeant. Trouble? Why, bless your child, it's a joy no to have you here. <laughs> but, John, Sergeant, why didn't you send me a telegram? Well, you see, Mother, this was rather unexpected. Well, and I... never mind all that. Now, come along, child. You must be near freezing to death. And here we are, cackling like a couple of... Emmy, what? Did you leave those cookies in the oven? Oh, jeepers creepers. Oh. <laughs> Come along now, everyone. This way, Miss Leanne. Thanks. Oh, boy, John. What? Ain't she a peacherino? Who? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is hot dog. <laughs> Come on, grab a grip, Willie. I want to thaw out in a hurry.
on, Jack. Now, don't stop. Play that other piece you used to do so good. I can't remember it anymore, Mother. Oh, well, try, dear. Don't you think he plays nice, Miss Leander? You don't have to answer that, Lee. I, I had $14 <laughs> worth of piano lessons once, and they've never forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Willie, hand me that popcorn. We've got to have it all strung for the tree tomorrow. Yes, and here you are. Well, yeah, you can help me. You haven't done a thing all night. Oh, gee, didn't I help Miss Leander with all them dinner dishes? You should have done them yourself, Willie. Miss Leander's a guest. Oh, I oh. like doing them, Mrs. Sargent. I've lived in hotels and je- uh, places so long, I haven't been around the house as much as I'd like. <laughs> Your folks dead? Willie. Ma'am? Oh, I don't oh. mind. My father's dead. My mother's remarried. Well, that's too bad, my dear. I always say it's so hard on the children. It just isn't the same with a new parent. Uh, um, um, go on, go on, Jack. Now, now just one more piece. No, that's all the next year, enemy. Oh, please, dear. I'll play you a piece if you want. Oh, that'd be fine. Oh, gee, can you play? Well, I used to play in the dime store. What would you all like? It doesn't make any difference. I can sing the end of a perfect day. Now, Willie. Well, I can. So can everybody else, Willie. The end of a perfect day. I think I remember it. Oh, boy. Uh, give us a downbeat, please, Miss Leander. <laughs> when you come to the end of a perfect day And you sit alone with your thoughts While the chimes ring out Gracious, the evening's gone past. The rest went up long ago. Wait, Mother. There's one thing you must be curious about. What, dear? Miss Leander. Yes? I, uh, I don't know whether to tell you this or not, but I don't like to bring somebody under your roof without you knowing exactly who she is. Oh, John. I think I can guess. What? Oh, no, no, not at all, Mother. She isn't even a friend of mine. Well, she certainly should be. I think she's charming. She is charming, Mother, but... Uh... She reminds me of your father's cousin, Winifred, who died when her second was born. The lovely, sweet thing. I was just saying to Emmy... Wait that... a minute, Mother. Unfortunately, the girl's a crook. I'm going to put her in jail when we get back to New York. What? But in the meanwhile, she had no place to go for Christmas, oh, so I... Oh, the poor lamb. You'll do no such thing, John Sargent. Why, that girl's as honest as all outdoors, I can tell by just looking at her face. Well... If she did take some little thing, I'm I'm sure it was entirely by mistake. She's she's probably a, a hypochondriac. Hypochondriac, huh? Well, she might be at that. She hasn't really taken things, has she, dear? You're just making a bad joke now, aren't you? No, Mother. I'm afraid this isn't even a first offense. But that doesn't mean she wasn't unhappy and lonely and a human being like the rest of us. Well, the poor thing probably didn't get enough love as a child. Do you remember how bad you were... Well, not really bad, but... Do you remember the time you took my egg money I was going to buy a new dress with? And then how hard you worked to pay it back when you understood. You made me understand. Oh, it was love, dear, that made you understand. Well, I do hope she enjoys her stay here. Now, we must do everything to make her happy and comfortable and to feel like one of the family. Do you think we ought to lock up the silver? <laughs> <laughs> well, good night, son. Good night, Mother. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, dear. 
I've never seen so many presents in all my days. Oh, here's another one for you, Mother. For me? Oh, John, another bottle of perfume. Ecstasy, too. Well, I haven't even started on that bottle of ecstasy you gave me last year. <laughs> and then, Emmy, here's a present for you. Oh. Willie, what have you got there? I don't know yet. Getting her open. What, Jack? Huh? What? Oh, what's this supposed to be? Oh, a nightgown, Emmy. Oh, Jack, Sergeant, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can see right through it. Willie, <laughs> lovely, uh. Uh, gee, we've got all our stuff open, and, well, I'm sorry about the present situation, Lee. We'd only know him sooner. Why, John, there's some presents for Miss Leander over there on the sofa. Oh. Why, of course, Jack, you must have forgotten. Oh, well, I uh, guess you can always trust Santa Claus. Three packages, Lee, here. Merry Christmas. Oh, no. Here. Oh, you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Open them up now, oh. dear. Oh, what a lovely pincushion. It's so pretty. Oh, it's nothing at all. Just scraps and things I've been collecting for years. Oh, here's, oh. here's the next one. Very Merry Christmas to Miss oh. Leander from Jack's Aunt Emmy. Stockings. Oh, thank you so much. Mm. Bed socks. Oh, not so fancy, but wonderful on a cold night for a spinster lady. Oh, it's awfully sweet of you all. Here's another, Miss Leander. Oh, no, not really. Yeah. Who's that from, Willie? From you, you big junk. Don't really? you remember anything? Well, but I didn't... Great, let's say. Oh, oh, perfume. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's nothing, just a bottle of perfume. And ecstasy, too. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're, you're all much too kind. I don't think I've ever met anyone so thoughtful and... So... Oh, nonsense, child. We're so happy to have you and so anxious for you to enjoy your stay. Of course, there isn't much to do here, except tonight we're bobbing for apples, and tomorrow the young folks have a treasure hunt, and... Thursday's the Charity Bazaar. Then we rest up for a day. And the next day is New Year's. That's the big event. And this year we're having a real old fashioned barn dance like the Hicks were supposed to be. <laughs> That's all there is. Farmers' wives don't die of boredom anymore. They die of heart failure. <laughs> Together, don't they? It reminds me. What? Who? Jack and Miss Leander. Like they were made for each other. If you're hinting that John's in love with her, well, well, he isn't, Emmy. Fiddlesticks, Lucy. Fiddlesticks. She's in love with him, too. I tell you, they're not. You don't know anything about these things, Emmy. Lucy Sergeant, if you're referring to the fact that I never married, I'd like to point out that you don't have to be a horse to judge a horse show. Emma, I saw two people in love. They are not. They can't be. They just can't be. Almost over, isn't it? Yeah, just about. We'll be pulling out for New York in the morning. And the third will be one day nearer. The third? Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean that third? When my case comes up again. I haven't thought of it. I have. But you've all been so sweet no matter what happens after we get back. It won't matter so much. I'll have some wonderful memories. So will I. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the honor to wish you all a very happy New Year. Happy New Year, Lee. Happy New Year, Jack. You know what? It's an old-fashioned custom, but people always kiss each other. Well, at this time. I know it. Well, what am I waiting for? I don't know. Why are you? Well, six o'clock comes right early, children.
Morning. You better get your sleep. What time's breakfast, Aunt Emmy? Time for you leave early. What'll it be? Flannel cakes or fried mush? Well, how about it, Lee? Oh, I think we'll ride better on the mush. Fried mush, then. Good night, children. Good, good night, night. Aunt Emmy. You sleepy? Not very. How about a good night cigarette? Well, I'd love it. I'll meet you downstairs. Swell. I'll be waiting. Just a minute, Jack. I was just... Oh, Mrs. Sargent. I'm sorry to disturb you, dear, but you'll be in such a rush in the morning. Oh, no, you're not disturbing me. Come in. Thank you. First of all, I want you to know how glad we've been to have you here and how much I hope you've enjoyed your stay. You'll never know how much. And then, well, I want you to know how sorry I am that you're in trouble and how much I hope it'll come out all right. I... I didn't know you knew about that. Oh, you poor child. You can be sure I, I never would have mentioned it now, only... Well, has Jack ever told you anything about his childhood? No, why? We were very poor after my husband died. In fact, we had nothing. Jack had to do chores before school and after school, and then after chores, he studied in the evening so he could go to college. Then he had to work his way through college and through law school. Oh, I don't mean there's anything unusual about it, but I'm, I'm only trying to tell you that he worked very hard to get where he is. Very, very hard. And, well, he's my son, and I wouldn't want anything or anyone to spoil it for him now. I see. But I don't see why anything should spoil it for him, do you? He's in love with you. Oh, no, he isn't in love with me. He's never had any more interest in me than, well, some panhandler he'd buy a meal for. Are you sure? Well, of course I'm sure. He kissed you tonight. Well, uh, not exactly ugly. Oh, he might have had a little fever for me, but it isn't going any further, and it hasn't been any place either. I see. He's no fool. And even if he was, I wouldn't hurt him or you, Aunt Emma, or even Willie. Thank you, dear. And good night. But you do love him, don't you? I'm... I'm afraid so. I knew you did. How about that good night cigarette? No. No, thanks. I'm too sleepy. Oh. Okay. See you in the morning. Good night. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Curtain falls on the second act of Remember the Night with Barbara Stanwyck, Fred McMurray, Elizabeth Patterson, Beulah Bondi, and Sterling Holloway. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Reasoned bleedings from everyone here at Dime Store Radio Theater and Sheena's Jungle. Twas the night before Sheena's. 
and all through the jungle room. All the DJs were stirring, making their cocktails go kaboom. The LP bags were hung by the chimney with care in the hopes that Mr. Fab soon would be there. The crew were all lit, decked out in their best threads, with a band keeping beat on those boss new drum heads. Rogers got a kooky sweater and Barno's sporting a cap, while Jan Turkenberg has the dance moves down pat. When out on the turntables, Chris O spun a platter. We all sprang to our feet and danced like mad hatters. Then in through the door with a significant flash, flew in Don Bowles with a huge LP stash. It's lovely to see the festive Roy Santiago trading programming tips with the Mr. Don O. When what to our hepcat eyeballs should appear but an overdressed Mr. Fab with the other DJs, never fear. On the dance floor, he was so lively and quick as we all grooved and frooved to surf songs so slick. It seemed like the tunes all had obscure fame, yet every single one of us knew them all by name. Everyone brought food. There were plenty of fixins. And when it comes to drinks, we were all nearly six in. To the top of the porch and all through the halls, our DJs were always heard by one and all. There's Alex Kish and Mike Rogers himself. I see Space Brother flipping through records on that shelf. Bill Zabub and Bob Barth are both shaking their heads at the terrible pun that I somehow just said. Wendy Stonehenge and Hysterica are dance floor mavens, and we're laughing at songs picked by DJ Kratoven. Georgie Girl is the peak of fashion and style, and even showed up with another huge record pile. John Nelson and Mark Time are both learning to twerk, while Miss May and Flannery chat in the kitchen and lurk. Sarcophagi and Daryl both like to pose, while Speedo and John P. trade DJ tips like old pros. DJ Babs and M.H. Lee both began to whistle, and you know we all got the It's All Night epistle. We heard Mr. Fab exclaim, quite loud and quite bright, This year we dance to Sheena's all day and all night. Everyone here at Tuna's Jungle Room, in all of our assorted studios and homes, we wish you a sappy holidays and plenty of new music throughout the coming year. Now, time to get my freak on. Latest skaters. Curtain rises on the third act of Remember the Night. It's early the following morning. In the half-light, just before dawn, Jack and Lee are ready to leave for New York. As they come down the steps of the old house, Mrs. Sargent takes Lee aside. 
Goodbye, dear. Goodbye, Mrs. Sergeant. Remember, there's always a room upstairs for you, and we'll be only too glad to have you. That, that is, if everything turns out. I mean, of course it will. I know it will. And don't drive too fast, Jack Sergeant. If you get tired, just drive into a field someplace and go to sleep. Oh, thanks. Anyway, we're going up through Canada. I've never seen the place. Canada? What are you talking about? Oh, just a different way of getting there. Well, whatever you do, John, take good care of yourself. I will, Mother. Bye, Jack. Goodbye, Emmy. So long, Willie. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear. Let me hear from you often. I will, Mother. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Leanne. Goodbye, Willie. Goodbye, all. Goodbye. 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 And don't Goodbye. forget to write. And don't you forget to chop some wood. Christmas is over. Oh, ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? <laughs> idea of stopping. Lee, do you know where we are? Of course. We're in Canada. We should be. We crossed the border three hours ago. No, you don't get it. Look, this is Canada. Over there's the United States. Stay here, Lee. Don't go back. Oh, stop talking nonsense. It isn't nonsense. I'm not a policeman. I can't make you go. Is your conscience gnawing at you? What do you think it was when I got bail for you? Oh, that. That seems like 80 years ago. I didn't even know you were against me. Oh, I, I did know you were supposed to be trying to put me in jail or something, but... Oh, you were so gentle about it. Yeah, that's part of the technique. If you don't treat a woman with kid gloves, every man on the jury wants to punch you in the nose. And you have to handle a jury with kid gloves, too. You'll get it right in the verdict. You know, it's very hard to put a woman in jail no matter what she's done. I'm supposed to be kind of a specialist at it. No, you're not. Sure I am. You're just trying to make me hate you so you won't feel so bad when you give me the business, aren't you? Look, are you going to stay in Canada? A fine district attorney you are, telling me to jump bail. You know I love you, don't you? Don't say that. And you love me. No. I suppose that's why you've looked at me the way you have. Kissed me the way you did. And why your hand has always found mine and mine has always found yours whenever they were anywhere near each other. Oh, Jack, don't be a fool. Look, I... I'm only human. But you've got to remember how hard you work to get where you are. You've got to think of the hours and the days and the years you spent getting through college. I see. Mother's been talking well, to you. Well, why shouldn't she? She's got everything to be proud of. And you've got to be proud and think about it, too, instead of telling people to jump bail Lee. or tell... I love you, Lee. Oh, Jack. I love you. Oh, darling. It'll be awfully hard to lose you. You know what I wish? What? I wish the case was over and you'd been acquitted. And... Oh, then you shouldn't have had it postponed. Yeah. If I hadn't, I'd never have met you. That's true. So the case is dismissed and you've been acquitted. Knockwood. Mm, and I pull out a marriage license. Oh, and, gee. And we march right into the judge's chambers and have him marry us. You know, you're talking like a madman, don't you? Yeah, I guess so. Come on, let's go. Jack, the courtroom's less than a block away. Or don't you care if the jury and the rest of them see you with me? Oh, so I'm not good enough to be seen with you, huh? You don't love me anymore. I never loved you. Were you just toying with oh, me? Oh, shut up. <laughs> You'll have to develop more courtesy and respect for your future husband, or I shall fall back in strong measures. A woman, a dog, and a hickory tree, the better you beat him, the better they be. Oh, quit it, <laughs> will you? All right. What? I can't argue with you. Imagine being married to a man who argues for a living. But you know all this isn't right. Can't you see the papers? District attorney marries girl crook. I'd only hurt you, Jack. But you won't be a crook. You'll be acquitted. How do you know? Well, I, I don't know, but I, I think you've got a good chance. 
You wouldn't do anything to make them acquit me, would you? What could I do? I don't know, but you could throw the case Listen, if you... Listen, you're being tried by a judge and a jury. It's up to them. They know the facts. They speak for themselves. There's nothing I can do about it, not a thing. I hope there isn't. It would be a fine thing, wouldn't it? Now, don't worry. Everything's going to come out all right. So long, darling. I'll see you in court. You may proceed, Mr. Sergeant. Thank you, Your Honor. I will if this jury will let me. They've been mumbling to themselves all morning. I'll take care of the jury, Mr. Sergeant. Thank you. Now, Miss Leander, I believe you have testified that you were hypnotized at the time you left the jewelry store and walked up Fifth Avenue. Didn't you? I, I... Did you or didn't you? Answer the question, Miss Leander. Well, my lawyer said so. Oh, your lawyer said so. Are we to understand, then, that you and your lawyer do not agree as to exactly what happened? Don't answer that question. Object, if you want to, please. Question is entirely improper, and I, I ask you to be stricken from the record. Sustained. The jury will disregard the question. I was only trying. Your Honor, those jurors are at it again. If they listen to the testimony instead of whispering among themselves, like. Proceed with the case, please. You can't hear yourself think. Well, Miss Leander, were you hypnotized or weren't you? I. I suppose. We don't want your suppositions. We want to know whether or not you were hypnotized. Yes. Guess what? I guess I was hypnotized. You guess you were hypnotized. First, you suppose you were hypnotized, and now you guess you were. Kindly remember you're under oath. Do you know the penalty for perjury? If your honor, please, I object. Sustained. Tell me, Miss Leander, just how many times have you been hypnotized by beautiful jewelry? I guess quite a lot of times. Did you hear by any chance Dr. Keimer's opinion concerning hypnotism? Well? I, I, I'm trying to think. I, I... You don't treat a woman with kid gloves. Every man on the jury wants to punch you on the nose. Oh. Will the witness please answer my question? And will the jury please stop mumbling? Jack, you... you... You have to handle the jury with kid gloves, too. You'll get it right in the verdict. He's my son. It's all right. It's all right. Just take all the time you want, Miss Leander. He's worked so hard. I wouldn't want anything to spoil it for him now. Well, Miss Leander? Oh. Nothing must spoil it for him. Well, Miss Leander, what is it? What is it? Oh. Your Honor, I object to the tactics being pursued by the district attorney. He's, he's harrying the defense. No, no, wait. Wait, I want to plead guilty. Your Honor, I, I don't believe this young woman is well. I request a five-minute recess. I want to plead guilty. Your, Your Honor, Honor, it must please, be... Please, it must be perfect. Your Honor, a few minutes recess, please. He's obviously not responsible for what she's saying. I ask Your Honor in his seat in this matter. Why do you wish to plead guilty? Because I am guilty. You see, when you work hard for something and, and promises are made... You just can't toss it away, no matter what. Your Honor, it must be perfectly clear now that this is not normal behavior. Perfectly clear, of course, and the state has no desire to take advantage of a temporary operation. There isn't anything temporary about this. Your Honor, you can see that I'm in my right mind. I plead guilty. You leave me no other alternative. The court at this time will fix next Friday, January 6th at 10 a.m. as day for passing sentence. The prisoner is remanded to the city jail... The jury is dismissed. Mr. Sergeant, to see you, Miss Leander. All right. This way, Mr. Sergeant. Ten minutes. Right. Hello. Do you realize what you've done? Yes. Do you realize it can't be undone? Yes. You understand there's no appeal. Nothing but jail. 
How long will I get? Oh, how do I know? Maybe not very long, but if, if you'd kept your trap yet, you wouldn't be in here at all. Well, there wasn't anything else to do. You're so strong, and you argue so well, and I... I love you so much. Yeah, you certainly proved that. I'd always do what you wanted, even if it wasn't good for you. I'd never have a chance against you, and... You'd never have a chance with me. Like... Well, like just now when you were trying to lose the case. Oh, aren't you ashamed? Oh, stop it. Oh, I know what you were trying to do. Save little Jackie's career from the bad, bad woman. Don't you think I'm the best judge of what's good for me and what I want most in this world? No. And while you were making your big gesture, did you stop to think how much you'd be hurting me? Do you think I'll stop loving you just because they lock you up with a bunch of hoodlums and hopheads for the next few years? I'm not much better. Well, you were good enough for me. Will you... Will you come and see me sometime? Come and see you? I'm going to send for the judge and marry you right this minute. Oh. Oh, no. Thanks, but... If you still wanted me afterward... You'd be a sucker if you did, but... If you did, it wouldn't be the same. I'd be all square, and... And... You would have had plenty of time to think things over. I don't have to think. I'll be waiting for you, Lee. No matter how long it is, I'll be waiting. Jack, will you stand beside me and hold my hand when I'm sentenced? You know I will. Then I won't be afraid. It'll be kind of like a marriage at that, won't it? And the... The other part won't be so bad. Or so long. With your voice always in my ear, your smile always before my eyes, and the, the feel of your hands always in mine. Oh, Lee. I love you so. I love you so. <laughs> Lee Leander and John Sargent will meet again in the not-too-distant future. Right now, we meet Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray again as they take a curtain call. Uh, CB, I, I think Fred ought to run for district attorney. A, a jury would be putty in his hands. Oh, not me, Barbara. I, I'd be scared to death making speeches in front of a lot of people. <laughs> oh, you'd get over that, Fred. There's a trick to it. You pick out one person in the audience and talk to him. Forget about the crowd. Oh, that doesn't work, Phoebe. Oh, you can't be sure until you try. I've tried it. You know, I used to play the saxophone in an orchestra. Well, that's nothing to be ashamed of, Fred. Uh, you never heard me play the saxophone. Well, uh, what I was going to tell you was that whenever one of us did a solo, we had to stand up. But I couldn't do it because I was, I was so scared my teeth chattered. You ever, you ever played the saxophone with your teeth chattering, Phoebe? <laughs> Fred, Fred I, I, I'm ashamed to say I, I've never played a saxophone. With or without my teeth chattering. <laughs> well, somebody told me about that trick of looking at one person and forgetting about the crowd. So one night when my saxophone solo came along, I picked out a girl that was dancing just in front of the orchestra, and I played the saxophone right to her. Did it work? No, she stuck her tongue out at me. <laughs> Guess she must have been a music lover. <laughs> well, seriously, Fred, I enjoyed doing Remember the Night with you both for the screen and here in the Lux Radio Theater this week. Mm. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. The jury finds you both guilty. Have a great performance. 
Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Heard in tonight's play were Lou Merrill as O'Leary, Jack Carr as Rufus, John Fee as Judge, Edward Marr as Tom, Wally Mayer as District Attorney, Celeste Rush as Mother, Arthur Q. Bryan as Mike, Walter White as Clerk, Sidney Newman as Cassidy, Anne Lee as Secretary, and Warren Rock as a Policeman. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers, and your announcer has been Melville Ruick. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. just a moment after this brief musical interlude. And welcome to Dime Store Revelation. Holiday Edition, where Sleigh Ride is on infinite repeat. And we're just here to mention a few things about uh, the shows within the show. It's sort of how we roll. I was wondering, I I knew the name Arthur Q. Bryan rang a slight bell in my mind, Web Hamster Henry, but I couldn't quite place it. Thank you for reminding me. Elmer Fudd. He shows up in a lot of old radio, I think, uh, uh, because he he was just a working gent who needed (laughs) needed the money (laughs) and was good at voices. And so uh, 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 was uh, uh, happy to do the work. Which I think is the case for most of those voice actors is, you know, like, uh, of course, we be- develop relationships with them because we enjoy the stories. We, we we find something relatable in the character or whatever. But for a lot of these people, these are just jobs. And so uh, as much as they are doing very well at their jobs, uh, uh, I, I, I could totally understand if you were working a lot, how quickly you could forget certain things that you've done over the years. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, it sometimes it's hard enough to keep track of all the things that you've done that you willingly remember doing. Anyway, let's say hello to our uh, friends in the chat room this evening. Uh, we have a, a fair number of folks hanging out, including Imaginos and Web Hamster Henry, uh, your friend Paul, who happens to be our friend Paul, uh, as it turns out, Barno and Akron. Uh, who actually was setting up a pretty good uh, holiday show for us in the hour beforehand, making the the Sheena airwaves just right for Dime Star Radio Theater. So thank you very much, Barno. Uh, very very uh, very nice for you. Thank you. WR, of course. Hey, how's it going, Molly Daft? Thank you, uh, Molly Daft, for joining us. Uh, 
we're, 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 we were all kind of tripping out on the Fred McMurray uh, in this uh, particular uh, uh, story because uh, each of us have different relationships with uh, Fred McMurray depending on our particular media consumption diet uh, over the years. Now, uh, as I was saying, I'm, I'm a little bit younger, and so my particular relationship is with seeing my three sons on infinite repeat uh, as a child and teen, uh, and, and, and not discovering uh, Fred McMurray's other work until uh, much later. And so uh, kind of ended up being shocked to see him in other roles, and in particular, Double Indemnity, which uh, we all agree is a fantastic film. Although I could see how um, you might have seen that first and then later encountered My Three Sons just for a lot of reasons. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, Fred McMurray, interesting actor, of course, in, 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 in a strange little role uh, in a holiday film written by Preston Sturgis, which <laughs> is, of course it's that, it's that good because of, of that. Yeah, you know, uh, this is one of those funny things about doing radio like this is that uh, um, you end up seeing uh, Christmas movies that you hadn't really thought of before because uh, you're kind of looking for new stuff for this for this show. So Remember the Night was my, my great discovery earlier this year when I was looking ahead towards the holidays. And speaking of looking ahead towards the holidays, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we have coming up because uh, we are basically within reach of the day itself. Uh, and uh, once that happens, there's no holding back. We are in the uh, throes of the final holiday celebrations that basically last until about January 2nd. Uh, and then uh, after that, we just have to return to boring old normal, regular workaday days. Oh boy, no holidays to speak of until Valentine's Day and whatnot. So, uh, I, 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 I guess Groundhog Day. But uh, it's, anyway, uh, my point being is that uh, we are we are getting close to it being all over. And depending on how you feel about that, uh, um, it can be relieving or uh, distressing. Coming up in hour two, uh, we're going to hear uh, the gift of the Magi, a holiday tradition for many, many people. Uh, uh, so uh, we'll hear a radio version of it coming up soon. And then an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, uh, a detective show that ran for many years. Uh, the lead was played by many, many different people. This is a holiday story that they did entitled How I Played Santa Claus. Originally aired on Christmas Eve back in the day, so uh, you know everybody was all excited as they were listening to it, wondering what Santa might bring for them the day after. And, and speaking of Christmas Day, uh, we are actually on the air Christmas Day this year. Uh, next week, uh, next Monday, is Christmas Day, and so after a wonderfully long holiday program put together by one of our uh, other Sheena DJs, we are going to indulge in broadcasting the third annual Elgin Watch Christmas Show. Uh, 
Now these are interesting because they did them uh, every year for a while. Uh, and and they are uh, essentially a holiday-themed variety show. Um, uh, but this one in particular is hosted by Don Amici and uh, has a wonderful uh, long list of comedians, musicians, and other performers who are, are just going to deliver to you two hours of holiday joy and fun. Uh, and uh, I did a little uh, kind of fun... Uh, thing here with it because uh, usually these um the ones that i've heard anyway these elgin watch shows <clears throat> are um not well archived and so the recordings that i've heard are kind of mangled uh there's like some tape slipping that's happening where i think when somebody was transferring it from a reel to reel to another format the tape kept slipping in different ways and so i i, I have a feeling that like we, we were getting a lot of like doubled dialogue and uh, scenes that were partially repeating and then scenes that are missing and then glitches here and there. It just, it just made it very, very difficult to listen to. And so I have done a complete remaster on this episode. I even uh, filled in and uh, uh, recorded a line of dialogue that was cut out, but it's very clear that you can tell what the joke was supposed to be. So uh, I, I, I went out of my way to try to recreate this show in a way that makes it not only listenable and enjoyable, but uh, you barely even notice the glitches, uh, which is um, what I was going for in the first place. Because the first time I tried to listen to it, oh boy, <laughs> not fun to hear at all. Uh, and, and it's a shame, too, because uh, there's like some wonderful uh, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope uh, uh, bits that they do in this show that uh, were, were fantastic. And uh, trying to preserve as much of the comedy from that scene as possible um, and, and make it listenable and funny. Oh, man, that was that was a bit of a challenge because those two are, are quick and, and they go off script very, very fast. <laughs> so it's a... Uh, um, it's enjoyable. <clears throat> I mean, there's a uh, um, uh, George Burns and Gracie uh, Allen uh, bit in there. I mean, uh, there, there's all sorts of... Oh, the Les Paul tri uh, trio does a, a song. I mean, it's a wonderful Christmas special. This Elgin Watch third annual Christmas special that you will be hearing next week here on Sheena's Jungle Room. Uh, it, it, I, I was trying to find something a little different this time, and I think... You're gonna like this one. It's 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 kind of like those command performance uh, shows, but this one's a little uh, it's got a little flavor all its own. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, New Year's Day. Since we're on Christmas Day, we're also on New Year's Day. So we're gonna have a New Year's show where we're gonna watch a movie that's set around New Year's, Bachelor Mother, a bonkers film if you've never seen it. It is completely insane. Uh, and, and it's a comedy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's very, very, very cool. Uh, um, and then uh, we're also going to hear some other radio that is related to uh, uh, the new year, including some clips from Command Performance and an episode of The Whistler that is uh, uh, originally aired New Year's Eve. 1947. So uh, lots of fun stuff coming up in the next few weeks. And then January 8th, we return to our regularly scheduled programs uh, with our lineup of Rocky Fortune, Bold Venture, The Blue Beetle, and X-1. So uh, 
Get ready for that. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we're having a good time here. It's 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 a it's a strange kind of year for the holidays. Like I think people are, are kind of noticing kind of how odd things are, and, and and in a way that is the perfect time when things get a little weird to hunker down with some hot chocolate and some home baked cookies of the holiday variety and enjoy some radio. It's the way I, I, I enjoy the holidays anyway. I did that thing where I went through all of my records and pulled all of the holiday-centric themed stuff and put them in a little pile next to the turntable. And I, and I made a promise to myself, try to get through as many of them as possible. Instead of doing what I normally do, which is just put on the Ventures Christmas album and just listen to that over and over again. Because... I mean, it's an amazing Christmas album, so why not? But uh, but also, um, uh, yeah, I should expand my palette a little bit. There, there, there's a few other good ones. Uh, I, I have one of my uh, my mother's Elvis uh, uh, Christmas records. Uh, that should that should probably get a spin at some point. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, lots of fun things. And what I did want to point out that uh, ne- uh, tomorrow night on Mid Valley Mutations, you should tune in for a old time radio style show that I wrote with my writing partner Univac uh, called uh, Giving Everything for Xmas uh, a, a holiday horror story with uh, special guest voices from Sheena's Jungle Room personalities including Mr. Fab and DJ Georgie Girl and of course a few other folks uh, scattered in and uh, roles here and there it, it, it is, a, is a, a, a in tribute to the style of horror that uh, Willis Cooper made popular on uh, shows like Quiet Please and uh, Lights Out. And so uh, we do uh, hope that you can tune in tomorrow and hear that uh, starting at 6 p.m. PST, 9 p.m. EST, um, a holiday horror story uh, that uh, could only be brought to you on Sheena's Jungle Room. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I would really love to uh, to see y'all uh, there. Oh, you know, I have thought about this, Imaginos. The Trans-Siberian Orchestra versus Mannheim Steamroller, Battle of the Bands. Who would win? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I think they might cancel each other out, and we might just hear silence for a little while while they, while they fight, which not so bad in my, my book. I can, you know, I have this problem with those two where I, when I'm thinking of one, I cannot remember the name of the other. But, like, for some reason, they're interchangeable in my head. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, hey, let's uh, maybe get into the shows here. You remember the gift of the Magi? Well, we've got it in radio form. It's Time Store Radio Theater here on Sheena's Jungle Room and uh, WFMU. And occasionally it sounds a little like this around the holidays.
it looks like there's an unexpected gift left under the tree this year. And would you look at that? It seems to be an installment of the Coronet Little Show, featuring the gift of the Magi. The Coronet Little Show. Little Show, presenting fact and fiction, dramatized by the Coronet Storyteller. Today we are going back to a Christmas Eve in the 19th century. O. Henry's story of the true Christmas spirit of love and sacrifice. The Gift of the Magi will be brought to you in just a moment by the Coronet Storyteller. One dollar and eighty-seven cents. That was all. And sixty cents of it was in pennies. Penny saved one and two at a time. Della counted it for the third time. Dollar eighty-four. Dollar eighty-five. Dollar eighty-six. Dollar eighty-seven. It was still the same. And the next day would be Christmas. One dollar and eighty-seven cents with which to buy a present for Jim. Her Jim. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl. So Della did it. While Della's sniffles are gradually subsiding, take a look at the vestibule below, where you will see on the letterbox a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. The Dillingham had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity, when its possessor was being paid $30 per week. Now, when the income was shrunk to $20, the letters of Dillingham looked blurred as though they were thinking seriously of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home and reached his flat above, he was called Jim and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young. That's Della. She has now finished her cry and is looking into the pier glass, attending to her cheeks with a powder rag. Suddenly, as she stands before the glass, she pulls down her hair and lets it fall to its full length. Now, there were two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's. The other was Della's hair, which now ripples about her, shining like a cascade of brown waters and reaching below her knee. Her eyes are brilliant, but her face has lost its color. Nervously and quickly, she does her hair up again, slips into her old brown jacket, puts on her old brown hat, and in the twinkling of an eye, she is halfway down the stairs and out on the street. Della has a determined, almost desperate look as she cites a sign reading, Madame Sophroni, hair goods of all kinds. She stops quickly, then opens the door, which leads to a flight of stairs. 
Stella rushes panting up the stairs and plumb into the portly figure of Madame Sophroni. Will you buy my hair? I buy hair? Take your hat off. That's ever sighted the looks of it. Down ripples the brown cascade. Hmm. $20. All right. Only quickly, please. In a few moments, the implacable Madame Sophroni and her scissors have done the job. And Della, minus her hair, but richer by $20, flees from the store into the street again. This time, she's looking for a different store. A store in which to buy, not to sell. At last, she finds herself in a department store in the midst of a gay holiday throng. At the jewelry counter, as she longingly handles a platinum chain, she hesitantly asks... You did say $21, didn't you? This is it. This is the present just made for Jim and no one else. There's no other like it in any of the stores. She knows, but she turned all of them inside out. It's a platinum fob chase, simple and chaste in design. Della has made her mind up. I'll take it. With the chain wrapped in a holiday box and clutched in her eager hand, Della finds herself again out on the street. This time she is in such a rosy glow she hardly notices the other last-minute shoppers hurrying by. The street trio playing Christmas carols. The old gentleman who tries to sell her a holly wreath. It seems but seconds until she is back in the little furnished flat again. There's a sudden shock as the pier glass confronts her, this time accusingly. Now comes the moment of reckoning as she gazes with dismay at the short ends of her hair. The rosy glow gives way to prudence and reason. Out comes the curling iron, on with the gas jet, as she sets to work repairing the ravages made by generosity and love. In 40 minutes, she finishes with the last curl lying tiny and close to her head, making her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. But to Della, gazing critically at herself in the pier glass, the result is anything but wonderful. If Jim doesn't kill me first, you'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But no more time for reflections, physical or mental. It's nearly seven, and Jim is never late. She sits nervously waiting for Jim. Now she hears his steps on the stair way down on the first flight. She has a habit of saying silent little prayers about the simplest everyday things... And now she whispers... Please, God, make him not mind my hair so much. Make him think I'm still pretty. The door opens, and Jim steps in and closes. He has a smile of welcome on his face as he glances around the room for Della. But the smile freezes on his lips as he suddenly sees her sitting on the corner of the table. An expression comes into his eyes as immovable as a setter dog at the scent of quail. The expression terrifies Della, who is expecting anger, surprise, disapproval, or even horror. But not this look of... of... Della wriggles off the table and goes to him. Jim, darling, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold it because I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You won't mind, will you? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. And where do you see the beautiful gift I got for you? Stella rattled on like that. 
but after she was all through, all Jim could ask laboriously was, You've cut off your hair. Stella tried again, this time more patiently. Sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. And it went for you, Jim. Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered. But nobody could ever count my love for you. Now, shall we have supper? At last, Jim seemed to wake out of his trance. He enfolded Della in his arms. And then he carefully draws a package from his overcoat pocket and throws it on the table. Nimble fingers quickly tear open the string and paper. And then... Oh, Jim, they're beautiful. How did you know they're, they're what I've always won? No. My hair. My hair. Oh, Jim, how can I wear them? There they lay. The comb. The set Della had worshipped for so long in an exclusive shop window. Pure tortoise shell with jeweled rims. Just the shade to wear in the beautiful and vanished hair. They were expensive combs, Della knew. And her heart had craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. And now Della hugs them to her and looks up at Jim with dim eyes and a smile. My hair grows so fast, Jim. Then Della puts the combs down carefully, lovingly. And even more radiantly prepares to show Jim his gift. She holds it out to him eagerly on outstretched palms. The dull, precious metal gleams and glows, entirely satisfied with its own value. Isn't it a beauty, Jim? You'll have to look at the time every 15 minutes now. Give me a watch. I want to see how it looks with the chain. For answer, Jim sits down suddenly on the couch. Dell, he says. Let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. Uh, I sold the watch to get money to buy your combs. Now, how about supper? The Magi, as you know, were wise men who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest pleasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, these foolish ones were the wisest. They are the major. You have just heard O. Henry's Gift of the Magi, which was brought to you by your coronet storyteller. The Gift of the Magi is just one of the many interesting stories and articles in the December issue of Coronet Magazine. How much do you know about Christmas? Don't be too sure until you've taken the Merry Christmas Quiz in the December issue of Coronet Magazine. How many reindeer does Santa Claus drive? What is the famous Christmas opera? What well-known actor plays the role of old Scrooge on the radio? 
These are three of the 25 questions in the Coronet Merry Christmas Quiz. And now, here is your Coronet storyteller with his postscript from the pages of Coronet Magazine. Be sure to join us next week, same time, same station. was the night before Sheena's, and all through the jungle room. All the DJs were stirring, making their cocktails go kaboom. The LP bags were hung by the chimney with care, in the hopes that Mr. Fab soon would be there. The crew were all lit, decked out in their best threads, with a band keeping beat on those boss new drum heads. Rogers got a kooky sweater, and Barno's sporting a cap, while Jan Turkenberg has the dance moves down pat. When out on the turntables, Chris O spun a platter. We all sprang to our feet and danced like mad hatters. Then in through the door with a significant flash, flew in Don Bowles with a huge LP stash. It's lovely to see the festive Roy Santiago trading programming tips with the Mr. Don O. When what to our hepcat eyeballs should appear but an overdressed Mr. Fab with the other DJs, never fear. On the dance floor, he was so lively and quick as we all grooved and frooved to surf songs so slick. It seemed like the tunes all had obscure fame, yet every single one of us knew them all by name. Everyone brought food. There were plenty of fixins. And when it comes to drinks, we were all nearly six in. To the top of the porch and all through the halls. Our DJs were always heard by one and all. There's Alex Kish and Mike Rogers himself. I see Space Brother flipping through records on that shelf. Bill Zabub and Bob Barth are both shaking their heads at the terrible pun that I somehow just said. Wendy Stonehenge and Hysterica are dance floor mavens, and we're laughing at songs picked by DJ Kratoven. Georgie Girl is the peak of fashion and style, and even showed up with another huge record pile. John Nelson and Mark Time are both learning to twerk, while Miss May and Flannery chat in the kitchen and lurk. Sarcophagi and Daryl both like to pose while Speedo and John P. trade DJ tips like old pros. DJ Babs and M.H. Lee both began to whistle, and you know we all got the It's All Night epistle. We heard Mr. Fab exclaim, quite loud and quite bright, this year we dance to Sheena's all day and all night. Everyone here at China's Jungle Room. 
in all of our assorted studios and homes. We wish you a sappy holidays and plenty of new music throughout the coming year. Now, time to get my freak on. Latest pages. And what's this? Nestled near the bottom of our stockings with care? Why, it appears to be an episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This one is titled, How I Played Santa Claus. It was a week before Christmas, and all through the house, a creature was stirring. And boy, what a rat. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Truly, Johnny Dollar is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only seven shopping days left until the big day next week, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Industrial Insurers Incorporated, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Mr. Eben Stevens, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of small-time swindles of big-time department stores. Uh, or how I played Santa Claus and almost got left holding the sack. Or going for a sleigh ride without benefit of snow can be tough sledding. Expense account, item one. One dollar. Tip to messenger who delivered this assignment writing by hand to my apartment. Thanks, Mr. Dollar. You have never been known as a fast man with a buck, Mr. Stevens, and I must say your note to me also marked you in my mind as an economist with words. Dear Dollar, our client, the Association of Department Stores of Greater Manhattan, has requested help on the following problem. A young man has been making the rounds of New York department stores during the current Christmas rush. Using his equipment and official-looking sales book, he goes to a business department, makes a quick sale on some large item, writes it up in his furious sales book, takes the customer's cash, and disappears. Enclosed find varying descriptions as furnished by victims to date, and uh, check for your usual retainer fee. Please put a stop to this nefarious practice at once. Signed, Eben Stevens, General Manager. Press account, item two, $6.21. Train fare, Hartford to New York. Next morning at 7.03 on the Banker's Special. A train uh, very cleverly named that because 75% of its load is made up of bankers. 
I sat among them in a parlor car, watching them limbering up for the day's chores, slowly shaking their heads from side to side and softly whispering, No. We arrived at Grand Central at 9.20. The bankers got off and headed for their granite vaults. I got off and headed to face my stone wall. Expense account, item three. Four bits, cab pair to offices of the Association of Department Stores of Greater Manhattan. There, things got brighter right away. Her name was Judy Whitehall. Boy, how she'd been missed by the scouts for the Copacabana, I'll never know. I have been assigned to help you all I can, Mr. Dollar. What would you like to know first? Your home phone number. <laughs> oh, well, maybe we better wait until later for that. Uh, how many stores are there in your association, Miss Whitehall? We have 120 member stores, Mr. Dollar. Mm, great. You know, in one department store, I'm the kind of a guy that can't find a glove department. And now I've got 120 stores in which to find someone I don't even know. Well, we do have the man's description. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have a lot of descriptions, all slightly different. And the regular store detectives are all on the lookout. Yeah, it's like looking for a noodle and a spaghetti stack. And all the sales personnel have been warned. Ah, it's beautiful. What's beautiful? Your face. Well, really, Mr. Dollar. Hmm? After all... Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I know. Business. Well, before I start, maybe you'd better give me a letter of, ident of identification. If I spend all day moseying around department stores without buying anything, I can stand a good chance of getting picked up as a shoplifter. Right away. Follow me. All right. Oh, just a minute. Hello, this is Miss Whitehall. Oh, yes, Mr. Sandler. Oh, my, that's terrible. My goodness, that's awful. Good gracious, that, that's worse. Well, well, the insurance investigator is here right now, Mr. Sanders. We'll, we'll be right over. What's so terrible? Well, that man, the one we're looking for, he was in the Miller store making a phony sale in the camera department. Well, you also said it was awful. It was. A little girl picked up a camera and snapped his picture, and the man tried to take it away from her, and the girl yelled, and then her mother screamed. And what made it worse? Well, a store detective came running, and the man shot him. Then he grabbed the little girl, camera and all, and ran off. They called the police. Really? I can't imagine why. The mob scene in the Miller store would have made the Notre Dame backfield hotter uncle. Christmas neckties were selling like hotcakes. Only compared to most of the ties, a hotcake would look better on you. The camera department was on the mezzanine, and the store manager, Mr. Sander, was on a rampage. Why doesn't somebody do something? Why can't they find him? I've got men posted on every door. He's in this store somewhere, and... Oh, Miss Whitehall, it's about time. Who's this? Oh, this is Mr. Dollar, Mr. Sandler, from the insurance company. Well, I tell you what you can do, Dollar. I've already got 20 policemen running all over the store. It's absolutely ridiculous, preposterous, and fantastic. That's what it is. Also amazing. Now, tell me, Mr. Sander, about that little girl who picked up the camera and snapped the culprit's picture. Did they find her yet? They certainly did, in the rug department. She'd been shoved in the middle of a pile of 9 by 12 Orientals on sale at 123.50. She was scared, but not hurt. Now, the girl was found without the camera, I suppose. Oh, naturally, but the camera wouldn't do us any good. After all, I'm sure the camera didn't have any film in it. They never do when on display. Well, how about the store detective, the one who got shot? In the hospital, Miss Hall. They'll call me here as soon as they find out how badly he's been hurt. Well, look, getting back to that kid, was she able to give you a good description of the guy who grabbed her? She hasn't stopped crying long enough. Well, how about her mother? Neither is she. Well, where are they now? They're in my office. That's why I'm staying right here. 
Where is your office? On the eighth floor, right next to the credit office. Well, this may be the first time I ever got past the credit office. Come on, Judy. Come on, blow your nose. There. Now, be a brave little girl. I don't want to. He hit me. He tried to kill me. Oh. He took away my camera. Uh, <clears throat> uh, let me have another try, Mrs. Jenkins. All right, Mr. Dollar, if you think it'll do any good. All right. Uh, oh, come on now, Bobby. All you have to do is tell us what that bad man looked like. We'll get him, and then we'll fix him. Come on, now. I don't want to. He'll kill me. I'm beginning to think he's got a point. Okay, Bobby. Okay, okay. Just a minute now. Oh, Judy. Here. Yes, Johnny? Looks like it's a child psychologist. I'm nothing. At this point, I feel like telling little Bobby to go out and play with some old razor blades. Got any suggestions? Well, it is almost Christmas. Yeah. And one thing little girls don't want to do at Christmas is get in wrong with Santa Claus. Ah, gotcha. Good gal. <sighs> Where do we find Santa Claus? In the toy department on, on the fifth floor. Well, give me about five minutes to explain things to Santa and then bring Bobby down. All right. Oh, Bobby. <laughs> what? Do you know what happens to little girls who make Santa Claus mad at them? Yes. What happens? They don't get to look at television before they go to bed. I mean, at Christmas, what happens? They don't get any toys. All they get is old sweaters and underwear. Well, listen, Bobby. This guy Santa happens to be a good friend of mine. What do you think of that? Tell him I want an air rifle. You would. Okay, okay. I'll even fix it so you can tell him yourself. How's that? Just fine. Ah, good girl. Hey, where'd you get that blood on your coat? You got a cut? No, sir. That's from that bad man. I bit him on the hand. <laughs> hmm. Okay, Judy. Here I go. Oh, and uh, on the way down, maybe you better stop by the dog supply department and buy little Bobby a muzzle. If the kid doesn't like his looks, old St. Nick may get hicked. <laughs> department stores should have some kind of a congressional medal for salespeople who work in the toy department just before Christmas. I took the elevator down to five, and when that door slid open... <laughs> Stepping into Dottie's Inferno, Junior Grade. First, I got on the house phone and called Sandler, who was still in the camera department. He had word from the hospital. The store detective had died without regaining consciousness. I was no longer trying to catch a cheap swindler. I was now out to swap blood with a dirty murderer. A line of fidgety kids led me to Santa Claus, sitting benignly on his throne. I had a short talk with him and a short wait for Judy and little Bobby. Okay, Santa. Now, we've got to make her talk. That is, you've got to. All right, Dollar. All right now, kiddies. You'll have to wait for a moment. We have a special little visitor coming to see me. Hello, Johnny. All set? Yeah, all set. Okay, Bobby, my girl. Now, just let me give you a hoist up into Santa's lap. He wants to ask you a few questions. I want an air rifle. Now, you'll be a good little girl and answer all Santa's nice questions, and you'll get it. 
But not where I'd like to give it to you. Up you go. Yes, well, there we are, honey. Now, tell me, what do you want for Christmas? I want an air rifle. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. Tell me, have you been a good little girl? Yes, sir. Hmm. Well, first we'll just have to look up your name in my little black book and make sure. Hmm, pretty good. All but one little thing. What I do? I didn't do nothing. Well, that's just it. You you see, Bobby, I have a note here that today some people asked you what a certain man looked like and you wouldn't tell them. Is that right? I'm afraid. I don't want to tell. They can't make me. Mm-hmm. Well, Bobby, maybe you and I had better talk this over. If you won't do something for us, now, how do you expect to Little Bobby's description of the murderer wasn't the greatest by any means, but it was better than none at all, with which we had been furnished by the personnel in the camera department and the kid's mother. We took the girl to the advertising department where an artist made a sketch. Armed with a drawing, we made a tour of the store exits, showing it to the police posted on every door, giving them a rough idea what to look for. A medium-billed, pudgy man with black hair. And when they came across such a character, he was to be issued an invitation to show his hands. If he was sporting Bobby's teeth marks, then they'd really know. Well, this chore out of the way, Miss Whitehall and I sink our teeth in a pair of sandwiches in the tea room. The Shopper's Delight Sandwich, to be exact. Cream cheese, walnuts, watercress, and pineapple on whole wheat bread. Mmm. We found the store manager, Sandler, back in his office. He, too, was eating, but he was on a diet of straight fingernails. Oh, terrible, terrible, terrible. That's what it is. Now, don't worry, Mr. Sandler. He'll be caught. As a swindler, he might have gone on for years. But as a murderer, it won't be long, believe me. Oh, what to do, what to do, what to do? Well, I've got several ideas. And the first is to get out of your office and start at the top of the store and work my way down. They're already doing that, and not a sign of him. Well, I once found a mouse in a hayloft, so be not discouraged. And a pretty little mouse she was. Oh, dear, old oh, dear. Oh, please, try to relax, Mr. Sandler. Everybody's doing their best. Yes, I'm sure they are. It's just that I... Oh. Hello? Yes, this is Mr. Sandler. Uh, oh, no. Where? How long has he been there? Hello? I'll be right down. What's the matter now? About an hour and a half ago, our store, Santa Claus, kept out in the employee restroom for a smoke. He was slugged from behind. When he came to, he was all tied up in a broom closet, and somebody has stolen his Santa Claus suit. They just found him. About an hour and a half ago. Judy, you know what that means? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Forty-five minutes ago, when little Bobby was giving Santa Claus the murderer's description, he was giving it to the murderer himself. Oh, good gracious. Instead of a kid's air rifle, it could have gotten us a revolver, size 38. Reasoned bleedings from everyone here at Dime Store Radio Theater and Sheena's Jungle Room. Now with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of your truly Johnny Dollar.
There's no place like a crowded department store for a fresh-made murderer to be on the loose. Especially one that's playing Santa Claus for a lot of rosy-cheeked little nippers. I headed back to the toy department. But when I got there, the cupboard was bare. Our lethal St. Nick had decided to give up his red flannel and white whisker hiding place. We found the empty suit in a storeroom, tossed high on a stack of baby buggies. Oh, Johnny, this is terrible. That man's a murderer. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Now, listen, Judy. By now, there must be 87 cops sifting through this store looking for that guy. They've got two cops on every door. Now, all I'm going to do is help them look. This is one of those everybody's problems. You're right. I guess I'm just getting excited. Well, then that you have a right to do. Come on, let's get out of here. I've got an idea. All right, Johnny. Oh, Mr. Dollars, thank goodness I found you. Mr. Sandler wants you right away down on three. An old lady has just been shot in junior Mrs. Lingerie. Serves her right for not acting her age. Let's go, Judy. Right over here, Dollar. All right. Let him through, please. Let him... Lady, please stand back now. Well, Dollar, yeah. congratulations. Before, this store was only going to sue that company of yours for one million dollars. Considering what this shooting will do to our reputation, I'm going to make that five million. Uh, Mr. Sandler, keep your powder dry. First of all, it's not my company. And second, you can't sue them for something they didn't do. And third, you'd better get this poor old gal to a hospital. How badly is she hurt, and how did it happen? The doctor's on his way, and we've sent for an ambulance. This woman was lost out on the big stairway looking for the ladies' room. That maniac saw her coming toward him and ran down the stairs, firing over his shoulder. The bullet just seemed to graze her left side. Uh, pretty lucky. Where are the police? They're searching all over the store. Dollar, what are we going to do? This is terrible for business. Well, I suspect that any minute now, the cops will be telling you to do something that's going to be even worse for business. Close the store. Well, but close the store? Yeah. Why, we're staying open late tonight. It's the last-minute rush. I'm just telling you what I think. I think the cops will double the lookouts on all the doors and make you close the store. Then they can go to work. We lose thousands of dollars. They can't make me close the store. You stay open, you might lose a few more customers. The hard way. Where's that doctor? He'll be here any minute. Yes, what is it? Well, they called up from the sporting goods in the basement. That man has been down there and held them up. And he took four guns and six boxes of ammunition. Six boxes of... Oh, my. Oh, what's this going to do to our store? If you're not careful, it's going to turn your store into the world's largest shooting gallery with live targets. You know what I suggest, Mr. Sandler? Uh, what? What? Tell me what. Don't wait for the police to tell you. Close the store. <laughs> Sandler didn't like it, and neither did the customers, as they filed out of the store past the scrutiny of the police officers still clutching their unfinished Christmas shopping list. The process was slow, and while the customers were leaving, the clerks finished up their business, put the white shrouds over their counters, and they too filed out into the early night. The boys in blue, watching the doors, came up with several men answering the general description of our friend with a loose trigger figure, but none of them had little Bobby's teeth marks on his hands. That made it a 50-50 chance that Mr. Killer was still in the building. There's nothing more eerie than a department store after closing. And its white sheets, the whole joint seemed to be playing ghost. 
I sent Judy over to a steakhouse, Pietra's, on 3rd Avenue, told her to wait. Then I had Sandler get me a gun from the sporting goods department. For that lonely, scared feeling, there's no medicine that quite takes the place of a piece of cool steel in your little hot hand. The sergeant, in charge of the police detail, posted men outside all exits. The rest, he took up to the roof with them. They were going to run the whole store at their burly blue sieve, floor by floor, counter by counter, inch by inch. Sandler stayed with me down the first floor. Just for fun, I thought I would start working my way up. Dollar, hmm? don't you think we should get out of here and leave this to the police? Well, I have several goosebumps that agree with you, Mr. Sandler, but uh, I have a very dangerous habit of trying to earn my money. Oh, this is terrible. Well, look, every counter and post in this store is just the kind of hiding place a sniper would pray for. I get paid for this kind of work. You don't. Now, why don't you go out for a nice safe walk? It's my duty to stay here. I'm sticking with you. Okay. But remember, two of us gave him twice as much to shoot at. Don't hit us! I had to go and open my big mouth. Get down! Getting down on that floor could have been committing suicide in itself. The killer's bullet had crashed into a showcase. A sea of broken glass is a risky place to practice diving. Having to swim out of it was twice as bad, but that's what I had to do. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Uh, Sandler, keep your head down. Bury your face in that glass, but keep your head down. Yes, Dollar. Tell me what to do, anything, but get me out of here. I have a wife and three kids. Well, if you'll do what I tell you to do, your wife will go on having a husband and your kids will still have a father. Yes, yes, just, just tell me. I don't know exactly where that shot came from, but from the looks of this glass, it must have been from behind us. Now, I'm going to leave you and crawl over near those elevators. While I'm on my way, you rattle around in this glass. Let him hear where you are. Give me about two minutes, and then do something to draw his fire. What can I do? Do anything but one thing. Don't stand up. Don't stand up. I'll think of something. You'd better. But don't take any chances. No, no. But what are you going to do? Take some chances. Once I was on my way, Sandler went to work with a vengeance. I could hear him thrashing around in that glass like he was trying to corner the Band-Aid market. I made it over to the elevators, scooting flat along the floor till I hit a car with an open door and slithered inside. Behind the protection of the elevator's front wall, I stood up, peered over at the edge of the door, and waited for Santa to make the move that would draw the murderer's fire. I must say Santa was dead game, and the way he made it move, he also stood a good chance of coming plain dead. First, he stopped wiggling around on his bed of glass, and then he just stood straight up. The shot missed, but my eyesight didn't. The killer was shooting from high up, behind a pole. He was standing up on a glass showcase, hoping for a better view. And it didn't take me long to decide to give him a better view of the inside of that glass showcase. I started deliberately shooting his foothold out from under him. He was bleeding beautifully when I started to run, straight for the back of the store, firing as he ran. As one last souvenir, he threw his empty gun over his shoulder at me. People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw guns. I decided to join the track team and won on the chase. Back out of the main floor, through the employee's entrance, out to the dimly lit shipping department, and its loading dock filled with packages ready for shipment. I could hear him moving around among them. 
Okay. Get your hands up and come out. I'm giving you a chance, but it's not going to last long. Get moving. I don't need your chance. I've got something better. Okay, so you want to play. I think I'll give you a couple of Yuletide presents early, and I'm sure nobody will mind if I open your head before Christmas. My hot-headed friend was hiding behind a high pile of wooden boxes ready for shipping. I grabbed the heavy, empty dolly, gave it a flying start, and sent it crashing into the bottom box of the pile. It was beautiful. The biggest crash since 29. Tough fight, but Mom, I don't think I won. At best, it was a draw. About the fifteenth time I belted him, he belted me right back. Then he got his hands on a hammer, laid it across the side of my head. I got the hammer, did the same for him, and made a hole in one. He fell squarely into a man-sized packing case lying at the foot of the packing bench. I was getting weak. Dizzy. I had to hold him. One thing to do. Top a case lying right there. Already. Nails part way in. Put it on right right over him. Nail it on. Good tight. Good tight. Good and tight. Everything is doing black. Then everything went white. Hey, corny as this may sound, where am I? You're in the hospital, Johnny, darling. Hmm? But don't worry. It's only a slight concussion. They brought you here last night. Oh, I suppose I have a hammer-shaped hole in my head. No, no, darling. It hardly shows. Oh, how could it? The advantage is covering it up. Well, at least I got him. Hmm? You what, dear? I got him. The killer. Oh, no, dear. You couldn't have. They're still looking for him. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. What time is it? Eleven in the morning. I gotta get out of here. Why? Johnny. Johnny, please. Johnny, you're not supposed to get up. Oh, nurse. Nurse. If they let him get away after all my trouble, somebody was going to need a doctor. Judy and I hit the department store in 12 minutes flat. One minute later, I was in the shipping department talking to the head man. Now, now, Mr. Dollar, just calm down. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> now, exactly what is it you want to know? That big packing case, the one that was lying right here in front of the bench last night. Where is it? Oh, uh, the great big one? Yes, the great big one. The one about eight feet long and three feet wide? Yes, the one about eight feet long and three feet wide. Well, there was something very peculiar about that case. You're telling me. Where is it? Well, this morning we came to work. The boys saw it all packed up, so they put it on the truck for upper New York State. Oh, no. Oh, indeed they did. But what was peculiar about it, even though they found it all ready to go... Later on, they found all the merchandise that was supposed to go in it lying around loose. It had never really been packed. Well, then, quick. The least you can do is tell me where it went. Well, now, that I can do. That box was the boss's big annual charity shipment of goods. 
That particular box is on its way to some of the unfortunates who'll be spending this Christmas away from home. All right, so where is it? By now, it should be at the New York State Prison, up in Arsening. Expense account, item five, $12.80. Dinner check at Pietro's, where I had asked Miss Judy Whitehall to wait for me the night before, and where I inadvertently stood her up. Although how a gal can stand up after eating $12.80 worth of food, more than I can figure out. Uh, let's see. Uh, expense account item six, $10. Medical supplies for those poor CBS sound men, Burn Surrey and Billy Gould, who had to break all that glass during the show. Expense account total, uh, $511.50. You may think this amount is a little high, but... Uh, isn't everybody at this time of the year? Uh, signed, yours, mm, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only seven shopping days left until the big day next week, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, produced and directed by Gordon C. Hughes. Stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Jay Novello, Georgia Ellis, Marlene Ames, Parley Bear, Paul Duboff, and Connie Crowder. The special music is written and conducted by Leith Stevens. Your announcer is Bob Stevenson. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Pleasant gentlemen of music, Vaughn Monroe and Gene Autry will be around with special Christmas music tonight on CBS. On his caravan, Vaughn will feature a medley of Christmas carols. And you'll hear the maestro and his band featuring Vaughn's new song success, The Jolly Old Man in the Bright Red Suit. Gene Autry will bring you Christmas music and the Christmas Eve story, Western Dial. Be sure to hear these two Saturday night CBS stars. Vaughn Monroe and Gene Autry on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Crime Store Radio Theater on Sheena's Jungle Room. Brought to you by Mid-Valley Mutations. We hope to see you again next week. Until then, be seeing you.